Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for a brand new edition of Collider Ladies Night. I am so thrilled to welcome Sasha Lane to the show for conversations with friends. And you also have so many other cool projects we're going to get to talk about today. Hello. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. All righty. So I didn't warn you. The first thing we do on Collider Ladies Night is we play with this dice tower behind me. I have a list of eight random questions here. And you're going to get three rolls on the tower. And whatever I roll, that's what we start with. Okay, perfect. All right, here we go. First one. Kicking this off with a number five. This is one of my favorite ones. It's high-low. Can you give us one audition high and then also an audition low and tell us what you learned from that low? Um, okay, so I, I could say my high was when I was auditioning for Utopia. Um, I remember at first the director wasn't going to be there and I think uh, maybe even Gillian wasn't going to be there and it was so important to me and I was manifesting the shit out of this show. I had to have it that I remember I just, and I've never been this bold before, but I asked, I was like, I'm not stepping in that room unless every single person is there. This is, we're going to have one time and this is what's going to happen. I'm not going to give them any room to leave uh, or to think about things. And I, I, I walked into that audition and everyone was sitting there and there's usually the camera you're supposed to, you know, do your scenes towards and someone's just reading it to you. But I just looked the director like directly in the eye basically and did my scenes towards him. I think one was a huge monologue and I basically was like, I'm just going to hypnotize you with my eyes. So you can't think of any other person to play this role. So, um, and it worked. Obviously, I got it. They had no other options. Everyone wanted me. And I was like, thanks. I love the authority with which you just approached that and said, I am going to do this. And I did it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what overcame me, but there was no way I was not going to get that role. And so I just basically left no no room for anything else good for you um i could for my low uh 
I think, I mean, I guess like obviously in the, in the beginning, um, I, I could tell I was doing, I was, I forgot what I was auditioning for, but it just, I think, I think it was Spider-Man to be honest. And, and this was a long, long time ago. And I was not audition ready. I was, I was still, and especially not Marvel ready. You know, I'm more of like the eyes and, you know, the subtleties and Marvel is the opposite of that. And I remember just being in that room and I was like, they were like, oh, could you just like more energy, more energy, more up and more, you know, vocal. And, and yeah, no, that wasn't me. I knew right away. I was like, yeah, this is, that was a cute little experience, but not for me. For what it's worth, you found a really good fit in the MCU. I love that. I love that world. And I love the opportunities you have with that character. We'll get into that. <laughs> All right. Second roll in the tower here. Number two is IMDb trivia. I love looking at someone's trivia page and seeing the super random facts there are about someone, but yours is like a little limited. So if yeah. you got the opportunity to add like a real out of left field fact about yourself to that page, what would it be? And out of left field, um, maybe that I only, like, I love Twix, the candy, but I, I don't know if it's like, I have like these weird, like superstitions about a lot of things and I will only eat the left, the left bar. Like if someone's handed one to me, they've like gotten me Twix because they know how much I like them and it's been the right one. And I've just been like, I love a kid, but I can't, I can't eat it. I can only eat the left. I understand that thinking, but I also feel like that's making you a really great person to eat candy with because there's always the right bar to give to a friend. This is true. This is true. I won't buy it though, so you'd have to get it because I can't even touch it. So Okay. D down. <laughs> when when we get to talk in person, I'll split a Twix with you and I won't let you touch that right bar. Yeah. All right. You got one more roll in the tower. Okay. All right. We're ending this with a number three. Number three is never again. What is something that you did for a role that now makes you say, I'm really glad I tried that, but I don't ever have to do that again. That I did for, that I've been in like an actual role that I've done. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be something you've been in. It could even be like in the audition space that you took a swing on something and you realize that's not for you. Um, maybe, maybe the bear, the bear situation in American honey. That was amazing. And, and, surprising and luckily no one told me until I had to be there so I didn't really have an option but um you know it's one of those things where its mouth was really close to me I don't know what vibes I had that day but they were good but just in case I'm off on the next round you know it's a bear I don't care if it's trained it's a bear you know I I'm not trying to risk that anymore I'm not trying to risk it mm -mm. very very reasonable I can understand that all right, let's get into it now. We go back to the very, very beginning, and you have a really interesting and like super cool story about getting into the business. So can you walk us through the reality of what it's like just randomly out of the blue being approached by a director while you're just enjoying your spring break? It is random. I, I like remember it vividly almost as if I was outside of my body because I was just walking along the beach with my friends and I could just hear someone yelling out to me and it, it just like here go this lady in a cowboy hat and overalls with a London accent, just asking me 
my name and all that. And I think immediately she was like, I really, I have this film that I really want you to be on and it's spring break. I'm in a bikini. I'm just like, mm, okay, what is this? You know, what's going on here? And, um, and then Amy, who's my manager now, she was also there and she had this really sweet tone and they were just telling me about my spirit and how they saw me, that they were watching me, which I also kind of was like, that's a bit creepy as well, but sure. Um, and the fact that they they asked to come to my hotel that night, which I never thought they would. And then my friend ended up like doing improv with me and I'm like screaming about how she slept with my boyfriend and she's pregnant. We were doing this weird stuff that I've never done before. And people were walking up the hotel just like, oh, that's crazy drama. And, and, and then I'm just putting my suitcases in her car. It's just, I don't know how I did that. I would never do that now. I would never tell someone to do it when people ask me, you know, what is, what's your advice? I'm like, I would never tell you to hop into a stranger's car and invite her to your hotel and go say, yes, I'll be in a movie and finish up college and leave. I, like, I don't know what to tell people about that. It just happened. So I, I was reading that the reason why you trusted them is because you trusted their vibe. But can you get a little more specific about what it was about that vibe? Because like you just said, like you left college for this opportunity. You let yeah. them in your hotel. So what was it about that vibe that said to you, these are good people to connect with right now? Because, okay, so the the weird thing that I know is really hard maybe to understand, especially when you just use the word vibe. And, and I was... I was in a really low place when I was in college and I was struggling and, you know, I heard voices. That's just a, a part of, you know, schizoaffective disorder. You hear voices, you, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they were mean. They were always really mean. And I just one day, a week before that trip, something told me and it was the nicest voice, like the nicest one I've ever heard. And it was just like, just hang on. There's going to be something. There's going to be something. And so then a week later to be there and then talking to me about a movie and how it's actually real. And, you know, Andrew showed me all the logistics of it. Something in my gut was just settled, even though it was the craziest thing I could have done. And it was super wild. There's nothing you can deny about the, the fact that you're just calm and you feel right. Nothing was screaming at me to run and whatever. And then I remembered that voice and it's just like, it's so bizarre that you're kind of like, why not? Like, why would I not go with what my gut is telling me? And, and there's no alarm bells ringing, you know, and, and my mind is getting in her car. I was like, just don't kill me. It's going to be really hard because you'd have to chop me up into million pieces and spread me around and all that. So you just might as well, might as well not do it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's intuition. It's trusting your gut and it's, you know, they were sweet enough. Your gut did not steer you wrong there. All right. Let's talk a little bit about your experience on American Honey, because first features can make a huge, huge impression and also set a lot of expectations. So first, what is something about the environment on that set and the way that it was run that, you know, made you walk away from it thinking, I hope all sets that I'm on have that particular quality? I think the... the we, we were in a bubble, you know, and, and when you're in that bubble, I remember thinking Andrea had chosen everyone so it's almost like magic. It's almost like she was a puppeteer there. And when I'm talking like, you know, down to sound, the grip, the PAs, the DP, everyone was so willing to work 
you know, paychecks were late. We were living in crappy motels. Everyone was getting bed bugs. We were always on the road. We didn't know where we were going. It was kind of disastrous sometimes. The weather would affect something and we would just roll with it. But no one complained. No one was like, I'm not going to do my work as best today because my paycheck's late or, you know, this is hard and I'm tired, so I'm not going to show up. Everyone was really down for the work and down for the experience and knew that something beautiful was was happening and we were all just getting along and for it was like a one big family which had its you know moments but that's just family you know and so to me kind of I wished that every production after that everyone was just like well I'm here and I want to be here so let's do it It doesn't matter if you know nothing's running as smooth or yeah for sure. What about if we narrow that down to like just you and your personal approach to your work? Because again, first set, you went into it with uh, no experience whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So is there anything that you started to do on American Honey or maybe even something that you saw a co-star do that you incorporated in your own process and still use to this day? Um, Not necessarily from that, especially like there was only two actual like main actors. And I think everyone was kind of in their their own zone I didn't necessarily like ask advice or anything but I think because I never knew what was going to happen in American Honey we've never got a script we never you know we got the side the day before or the day of you just had to take it for what it was and just be ready to wing it on top of also learning your lines and I think my approach to everything else after that was just kind of give me what you got and we'll see what happens. You know, there's no sense of trying to control something that is really out of your control. So. I love it. It shines through in all of your performances that followed that big time. So I'm very glad it started there. And, you know, also American Honey is just like a very special film to kick off your career with. So what what was it like just behind the scenes in terms of figuring out where you wanted to go after that? Because you know, I, I'm thinking more of, uh, you know, from the writer director perspective, but like I was always told, like when you make your your first feature, make sure you have something in your back pocket or a plan so you're able to use the momentum from that first special something to yeah. take your next step. So what was it like after American Honey came out and then wrapped up? What were the key next steps that you wanted to take? And then how did that pan out? Did it meet your expectations? Well, to be honest, I didn't have any expectations. I didn't I was in a really weird zone of figuring out what a film meant. It meant that you make something and then everyone leaves and carries on with their lives. And that was really, really hard for me to process. You know, I was like, what do you mean, Andrew, you're making another film without me? What do you mean? You know, and all these people went back home and, and so I was kind of lost there, but it was, it was the producer Lars um, who told me, he's like, I really think you should, give this a shot. I think you should continue. Um, He's like, there's something there. I think you should try to meet with an agent and go to LA. And that was, that was not what I was expecting. Even though I had just done the film, I wasn't tempting to be an actress or anything. So I had a few conversations with Riley after we were filming and she had taken me to Paris crazy enough. Um, I was asking her like, do you really think I should do this? Like, I don't know. Um, and she's the one who kind of convinced me that I should just move to LA and then see, see how it goes. And, 
and I did. And I was working uh, with the costume designer for American Honey. I was working as her assistant on projects because I needed money, obviously. Um, it was an indie film. You don't really get paid. And it was my first one. And I was like, well, if I'm out here, I need to, you know, live. And I was just working on little things. And lucky enough, there was already agents who wanted to meet with me. And and I had found one really early before it even came out. And um, we kind of just went from there. I was just going off of pure, just, you're here. Let's see what happens. I had no, no plan at all. So to follow up on some of what you said there, because I, I have a feeling a lot of people out there might go through something like this. So you have that conversation with Riley and she convinces you to, to commit to this, to go to LA and like, I don't know, I'm just envisioning you going to LA with like the, all the confidence in the world, I'm going to do this. But it doesn't necessarily happen in a flash like that. So, you know, were there any kind of lulls after you moved out there when things weren't quite going to plan? And, and how did you pull yourself out of them and keep focus on, you know, what you wanted to do long-term and coming to the conclusion that, you know, like sometimes this stuff takes time. I think um, there was definitely a moment where I ended up living with one of my friends who had just moved out there, funny enough, and she had just happened to also be on the beach where I was found when I got, when I needed a place to stay for the week with Andrew. It's kind of crazy how that's worked out, but I remember living with her and, and, I was doing some auditions and I wasn't really the best at auditions. And every time I went to one, it seemed like all they wanted to talk about was Andrea's process. It almost seemed like they were trying to get everything from me to make their own films. But if they used me, then it would be American Honey. So that was kind of this weird predicament I was in where it's, they wanted to speak with me and all that, but they wanted to make their own version. So I couldn't be in the films. And I, I was starting to get really down because you know, I didn't have as much money and, and I was staying with my friend and, and I was like, I promise I'll get out of here soon. And, and she was really encouraging and said, I know you're working hard, you know, don't worry about it, um, which was really nice. But there was a big chunk of just, I wasn't getting any auditions. I, you know, I wasn't getting any of these roles and I felt really used and kind of like, what am I doing here? But I think the weird thing that actually kept me there was not for my passion of acting. I just started and it wasn't what I wanted or thought I would have. So my, my thought was, is if this doesn't work out, then it's not meant to be. And I'll just go back to Texas. You know, I wasn't out there to like, this is my last everything as most people do. Um, I kind of was like, if, if this is not meant to happen in my life, then it's not meant to happen. And I'm going to go back, you know, LA's not even my place. I don't, I'm just, I just stayed in my zone and then eventually did get a project and, and it, it did work out. And um, yeah, it was just a lot of faith and also a little bit of, I'm not going to kill myself over this if, if it's not meant to be. Do you still have that mentality now? Or was there any project that switched that thinking where acting became a creative itch that like you knew you desperately needed to keep scratching? Um, in a way, it was the project I did after. Uh, I did a short, um, Born in the Maelstrom, and that was the first one <clears throat> that made me realize, like, oh, I can do this. It does. It's not only if it's me completely and, and raw. You know, I do like this, and I like the collaboration. I like, um, I, I like tapping into these roles. And it was almost a silent film, pretty much. It was just a little bit of voiceover, and and to that, to me, was kind of 
where my fire was starting. And because um, I just got to, you had, I had to project energy through a camera because there was nothing else to rely on. And that is kind of what made me go, okay, I want to do this. I do want to do this. And, and it was, it, yeah. All right. I'm going to take a big leap ahead now to Hellboy because, you know, I can kind of like restructure one of my previous questions to suit this because, you know, doing your very first big budget studio blockbuster can be a, a pretty big deal too when choosing, you know, what to commit yourself to in that department. So at that point, had you had an opportunity to do any films of that scale before? And if you did, what was it that made Hellboy the one to take that plunge with? <clears throat> um, no, that was my first. And I was, you know, at first I was like, it's a remake. You know, I'm scared of that because these are big films. And, you know, everyone always has something to say about a remake. Um, but I remember my agent at the time was telling me, he's like, listen, it's, it's, an, you have to do an accent. That's going to be a challenge, which is a good thing to challenge yourself. And also, um, it would be my first time with like green screen and all that. And he basically said, do it and see, and then you can kind of get the idea if you like those types of films or not. And I think that's what made me go, okay, it's a good challenge. And it's also a way to see both sides. You know, I've only done indie, so might as well go for that one. So now I have to follow that up. What, what, what was the takeaway? Is that kind of environment, the type of environment you like working in? Or do you prefer, just so I can also name drop some of your other titles, Hard to Beat Loud, Miss Education, Cameron Post, I could go on and on. Which type did you prefer after that? Uh, it, it's definitely, I like the realm that I'm in now and, and kind of the more Hard to Beat Loud and Cameron Post. It, I think for me, Hubble is a great experience, but the green screen and the, you know, fighting over what jacket to wear and, and all that was kind of like, this is not exactly my, my vibe. This is not kind of what I want to put my energy into. It was great for, you know, learning and the stunts. I think that was my favorite part. I love doing stunts, but that scale was just, it's not, it doesn't really do much for me. And so, you know, this is a hard hard career and industry to be in. So it has to be worth it. For anyone else else out there who gives that type of film a go for the first time where, you know, there's a lot of voices in the mix determining what the finished product is going to look like. Like, what would you suggest to them in terms of, I don't know, not necessarily blocking out all of those voices, but making the most of that type of scenario and that type of collaboration for yourself. So you could still feel fulfilled with your experience, bringing that character to life. I think maybe it kind of simple and not simple is you're already there. So you're either going to be there and be miserable or there and feel lost and, you know, kind of in over your head, or you're going to be there and try to do the best that you can do. It's kind of one of those, like, you know, I'm in Bulgaria. It's not an easy flight back. I might as well enjoy Bulgaria and the people around me. And I, I did what I could with Alice because, you know, I was relating to the voices and, and, and just kind of, you know, I loved, working with David and stuff. And so I found my little pockets of happiness and, and parts of the script that I could be like, all right, this is, this is nice. I, I like this part. I, you know, I took what I could from it and, and put everything I could into the stunts basically, because I was like, all right, um, this is healing for me. So it was good. Not that this is really your job, but whether it's on Hellboy or literally any other film you've worked on, 
what can you do when you have a co-star who kind of, you know, has that bad attitude? They they show up and they're like, this isn't what I thought, so I'm going to kind of check out to a degree. What, what can you do to either, I don't know, change the environment or, again, still keep the focus on your own work and making the most of the experience? Well, I think if, you know, if you're helping someone else, then it's going to help yours. It's, you know, it's your performance and their performance. It's, it's a, it's a dance. You want, you know, you don't want someone to give up basically. Um, Cause you know, if you, if, even if your director kind of gives up on it, it's, it's kind of, I, I say if it was a co-star, then it's more so taking what they say, letting them vent it out. Cause I feel like that's helpful. If you can just wake up and be like, this is, this sucks. I don't really know why I'm here and I don't want to be here it's maybe I feel like the best way to do it is just be like I hear that and yeah sometimes it's maybe not the best for me but we're here what else are we gonna do what else it's kind of like what else are we gonna do we might as well crack a few jokes and and say the lines man let's go for it you know just try to give them a good pep Not to jump ahead here without hitting Loki, but that approach to the conversation totally makes me think of conversations with friends and how they they talk through the shit that they're going through. And they do so, so like bluntly and and often at least honestly. And I love Mm -hmm. that about that. Yeah. All right. Got to talk about Loki now. So I I guess um, I was going to ask you just broadly how the opportunity came up, but maybe let's start with the audition space with that. Like what felt different about the Loki audition versus what you went through on Spider-Man where where like something clicked and it paved the way to you booking a role in the MCU? I didn't audition, so that probably helped. <laughs> that was you deserve that was, you deserve it. You deserve yeah. it. But you know what was great is I, I don't know, I don't think I no, I didn't. But what was great was I had just given birth a couple months before I got the opportunity. I was out shooting a music video, I think, in New York, and I got the call about it. And I was talking, I ended up talking to Kate, the director, and she was telling me a little bit about the universe and what she wanted to do with it. And it felt like this kind of underground version of Marvel, which I was like, all right, you know, if I can be in something like this, and this is more where where I fit in, you know, this is where how I can jump into this world. And the fact that she wanted me in the first place and, and, and it meant a lot to her got me excited. And, and I, I just started auditioning again and there was just something in me that was like, you know what? Okay. I, I, I just had a kid. I want to get back into it. What a cool way to, to go about it. And, um, I was just honored at that point. I was like, me, like, you really want me? Uh, okay. Um, which I guess was a huge leap from sitting in that audition room, just like, I don't know what I'm doing here. So, You really do make the most of a supporting role like that because, you know, Hunter C20... Actually, so I don't necessarily keep saying Hunter C20. Did you ever come up with a character name just for fun, just for your own head? I think we just called me Young Hunter. It was Hunter C20 and Young Hunter. I was just the young one on the on the squad. I can roll, I can roll with, uh, with young Hunter here, but, um, it's just, a, it's a very powerful, smaller role in that show where her experience completely dictates like the tone and the level of threat that exists in the TVA. So exceptional job, really making the most of every ounce of screen time you have, because it has a great effect. Mm-hmm. So 
a Marvel show in this case, or any Marvel production is like a one of a kind production. There's really nothing like it out there. So what surprised you the most about what it takes to be part of an MCU project? I think the fact that I had to walk to and from set for my trailer into lunch in like a cloak, because even though every other, there was like five other shows filming at the same time and they were like, we can't let anyone see your costume. No one can know what it looks like. Everything was so hush hush that I just, I was like jumping into vans with hoods over and all that. And I was like, really? Like, is this really this? But it was, it was serious. I think it was just so serious, but everyone was fun. So it kind of was like, I don't know. I think I was just kind of mind blown because I'm so used to just like, all right, let's go for this. But it was, yeah, yeah. I was hiding constantly. Did you ever come close to breaking the Marvel secrecy rules? No, I don't know. I'm good. I'm good at secrets. And so, yeah, I had, I had fun kind of just being like, all right. It was hot that I was in a big old suit. So I was like, let's do this. I ask because some people out there aren't. Actually, here's a good opportunity for me to ask about a future project because I'm sure you're well aware. This world is damn obsessed with Tom Holland, yes. like obsessed with Tom Holland. So I don't know. Tell me literally any fun fact about working with Tom on the crowded room. Uh, Thus far, at least. I think you're still shooting that. Yeah, we're yeah we're definitely still shooting. Um, I guess the one thing I could say is, you know, God forbid we're not filming in the studio. Those streets are going to be packed. They are packed. And so in a weird way, it's it's distracting. But at the same time, if you can stay focused in the scene and, and deal with all that, which I feel like is probably much better than me, it's, you know, you kind of, you got to put a little extra effort in to ignore all the extra. But he comes, he comes with the crowd. He does indeed. He definitely does. I would believe it for better or worse. He has well earned that crowd. Yes, uh, 100%. Briefly back to Young Hunter now, because personally, I play by the horror movie rules. If you don't see a body, someone isn't dead. So in your mind, your own head canon is Young Hunter still alive out there somewhere. Yeah, I've, I've even, <laughs> I remember telling the producer, because they're like, oh, we'll see. And I was like, can we just, you know, if I happen to make it back, can I just be hiding behind like a little rock somewhere, just squatted behind a rock, just like, hey miss you guys. It's been a while. I, I'm, I'm desperately hoping to be hiding behind a rock somewhere because you don't know where I went. You know, you don't know. So to me, I'm not dead. So I'm just trying to project it out there that there's a rock that I'm sitting behind just like, you know, is anybody, anybody going to stop by soon? So yeah. that is going to be the most delightful Easter egg when I like <laughs> see a Marvel movie and I catch you behind a rock somewhere. Still here. Yeah. Oh. All right, let's get into conversations with friends now. So I've got to imagine that there's like a million and one reasons to get involved in a project like that. But was there anything in particular about the series that I guess maybe made you think like, this is the right type of project for me to tackle right now in my career or maybe for you personally? I think, I feel like I know we've probably, like I probably have conversation. It's like every time I say that word now, <laughs> but I think it it had been a while since I'd read anything that I genuinely liked. And, um, you know, also then we had the pandemic and I had my kid, there was a lot of factors that it was like, if it's worth it, and if it's going to be this long, it has to really be worth it. Um, and 
and I didn't want to do anything just to get out of the house, which I definitely wanted to be out of the house, but I didn't want to just take anything. But one, when I read the book and immediately was, I felt really attached to it. I felt really attached to Bobby because I knew exactly what I wanted to bring to her, which was a big deal for me that I already was planning out the character in my head. And then Lenny, having the conversation with Lenny and knowing what he did with Room and if you can if you can direct a child to deliver such a performance to me that you have to have a big heart you have to have a lot of patience and um understanding and you know a softness to you and for to do a role like this i felt like it, it was just it was an incredible kind of opportunity for me and i i really wanted to work with him and i felt very safe um and when you have someone like that it just, for me, speaking to a director is the second thing I do after seeing if I like the script or not. Because if the director's not as passionate or he doesn't care as much or, you know, they're just like, yeah, this is cool. But it's like that six months of my life, especially now. Um, after that conversation with him, I was I was sold and I really, really wanted it. It's making me think. So sometimes we play a would you rather game on the show and it's making me think of one specific question. Would you rather commit to a project without getting to read the script first or without knowing anyone who you're going to work with, like not being able to know your collaborators? I would rather commit to something without knowing my collaborators. Yeah. Yeah. Because at least with that, you know, I genuinely get along with people, even all kinds of people. And, you know, if something's not necessarily working director wise, whatever, I'll, I'll find my ways, you know, you can, it's, it's, you do, you can find your zone, but if I don't like this script, then it's, I'm screwed. You're screwed. I'm it's going to wear it on my face. It's not worth it. Yeah. I hear you. It's the foundation that yeah. the whole, the whole thing stands upon. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk a little bit about your, your co-cast here in, in particular, Allison, because you know, like, I'm sure she's a pro and knows what she's doing, but with you having had the experience of being like a newcomer, completely fresh, stepping on a set early on, is there anything anyone did for you, you know, on American Honey or one of those first projects that like you knew you had to do for someone else getting their first screen credit so that, you know, they could feel comfortable and make the whole thing not so scary? Yeah, it's, I will always go back to, and I even messaged Riley the other day, Riley, it's funny because we weren't allowed to really talk to each other when we were filming because we were supposed to hate each other. So I didn't get to know Riley till the very end, um, which was wild, but she became like a sister to me. And I remember so many times when that struggle period, you know, she would just remind me that like, one, you're 20 years old, it's okay. And also she would tell me little tidbits about events and, you know, about press and how they try to get you to say more, just like little tricks up your sleeve and, and kind of give me a little background info on certain things you're doing. She's the only reason I actually stayed on the plane on the way to Cannes because I was like, get me off now. I'm not doing this. I don't want to know. She's talked to me out of completely dipping. She kept me on red carpets because my anxiety, I was about to run off. And, you know, she was my anchor um, and I could trust her and she had done it before and, you know, and so well. And so for me, it was like paying that due back to Allie um, because I deeply care about her and I, and I do know what it feels like. And she is her own person. And I obviously am going, I want her to 
find her own ways. But if she has someone, if I can be her rock and in her, you know, handhold through it all and someone she can vent to and, and we can laugh about the craziness of it all, then I absolutely want to be that person for her because it meant a lot to me. It makes me so happy to hear that it's it could be such like a big scary industry where kind of all we have are those types of people to lean on so I'm very glad that you had it and now it inspired you to be that for someone else it mm -hmm. also just like skyrocketed Riley to the top of my list to have on this show at some point in the future just like, yeah incredible like, yeah mildly obsessed with Zola in the lodge right now <laughs> yeah she's she's everything to me I will boost that girl till the day I die so you definitely should all right, opening it up to the full ensemble of conversations with friends now, because I always love digging into the variety of different processes that are out there. So between Joe, Jemima, and Allison, whose process would you say aligns with yours the most? Where like the second you hit the set, you were immediately in sync. But then whose, uh, whose was the most different where like maybe it challenged you to adapt and adapt for the better? Um, Interesting. In a weird way, I'd say maybe Joe's process was more similar to mine because, and and it's funny because I only say this is because me and him spoke the less, the least amount to, in terms of we didn't really talk about our process. We didn't really, um, it, I don't know. It's so weird. I feel like he would just show up and be like, I know what I'm going to do and I'm going to try it and I'm going for it. And that was just that. And I feel like that's kind of how I approach things. I wasn't really vocal about like, I'm going to go for this and this is how I want to do this. And uh, I don't know. I think in a weird way, I feel like me and him are a little bit more in our minds about things. And we just kind of been, you know, action and we're like, all right, let's, let's do this. And all the rehearsals and everything. Um, so I'd say we're the most similar. And I think maybe not so much is Allison. She did so much, but also her role was the book, you know, that it, the book is her blueprint, you know, less more so than the rest of us. And so this girl's scripts and the book were covered in pen and, you know, in between each take she was reading and she was going back and she, so much research, so much diving in and, and everything was, she just put so much into those little parts, which, you know, I get it for this particular project, but I think it was kind of like, sometimes I'd be sitting there just like drinking my coffee, kind of zoning out. And I'd look over at her and she's like, and I'm like, damn it. Um, let me, uh, let me put a song on so I can get, you know, it almost just made me be like, shit, should I bring the book in? Yeah. I'm like, huh. But it also, yeah, it made sense because she had more to go from from the book, but I just was like, maybe I'll just doodle on my script so it looks <laughs> so it looks like I was really concentrating on those words. But then it I kind of took a little bit from that and was like, I'm gonna underline the inflection here and yeah, I'm gonna sing this more bold and you know, I was just trying to keep up. I was trying to be as, as you know, good as her. Hey, whatever the four of you did, it works really well. I'm going to have to let you go soon. So I did want to squeeze in one question about the ending here, and we'll brand this a spoiler. We'll save it for the appropriate time. But I don't know. I guess, I guess, like, what is your take on the ending in terms of what this means for their relationship going forward? After everything they had been through, 
Like, is there another opportunity for Bobby to have a conversation with her and move past this? Or does the decision in the end kind of cut that off firmly in her mind? I think because I don't think Bobby knows, obviously, what happened that last part. But to me, as soon as I watched it, I just kind of went, you've lost me. I'm so angry. I I think, you know, personally with my little jealousy and all that, but I think at that point, I'm like, I feel like you just, I want to like put her on the forehead, like what, uh, I'm done. I feel like that's a mic drop. That's a walkout. That's a, you know what, girl, move. Just, you know, yeah. I think at that point, Bobby has to step away. It's like, I get it. I get it. The show had planted the scenes to earn a moment like that. But right. after having like that last little like blissful sequence with the two of them and what they could be, yes. I'm like, my heart, my heart, don't do it. And I didn't expect that. I didn't know that was going to be there, that little montage. And so I was like, oh my God, they basically set me up to then just drop me off. And I was like, I'm so angry. Uh, it kills me. It really, <sighs> I get heated. <clears throat> I'm sure it's going to have that kind of powerful uh, impact on the people watching the show, but I feel like it's it's like an extra level to it that it has that kind of impact on someone who's actually part of the making of the show. I know. Too. Yeah. I got to let you go, but huge congratulations on conversations with friends and everything you've accomplished. I can't wait to see more from you, but in particular, Young Hunter just hiding behind a rock in the MCU somewhere. I hope you see that. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.